Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. 437. All right, let's get into it because every day this is just manna from heaven, so to speak, uh, for folks in the talk radio or television game. (laughs) Donald Trump, uh, the gift that keeps on giving, I guess is what they call him. And uh, the most recent installment is, I guess he had a a rally in Mississippi last night for which he actually uh, said some things that some are suggesting were way offside regarding the woman who first accused Brett Kavanaugh of sexual indiscretions back when they were teens. Give a listen. I had one beer. Right? I had one beer. Well, do you think it was... Nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. And a man's life is in tatters. A man's life is shattered. All right. Well, Trump, I guess, uh, in no uncertain terms, questioning the credibility of the accuser, uh, Christine Blasey Ford. But he's taken some blowback today from, uh, well, I guess, uh, predictable quarters. Reggie Cicchini is on the ground in Washington. He's a Washington Bureau producer with Global National, and he's joined the Oakley Show at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Reggie, how you doing? Afternoon, John. So, what kind of blowback from last night's rally in Mississippi? Well, I mean, we're seeing and we're hearing uh, the typical things that we would expect from some of those more moderate Republicans saying that, you know, the things that Donald Trump was saying last night were highly inappropriate. Lisa Murkowski from Alaska says that she's going to take what Donald Trump said and carry that with her as she tries to make her decision going forward on how she intends to vote for Brett Kavanaugh. What we heard from Donald Trump last night was exactly what we used to hear from him on a campaign trail, just not what we you know, have heard from him over the last couple of days. All right. It seems, though, a partisan crowd, uh, they were very much in agreement with what he was saying or how he was directing his dubious, uh, I guess, feelings towards the accuser. It's what he does when he's at a campaign-style rally. This is what we saw all throughout 2016. And now that he's doing these stump speeches again, he's going to areas that he knows he has the support. He knows that these people are going to support whoever he tells them to support. So standing at a podium in the Deep South, which already gives 40 and 50% support to Trump, he can say whatever he wants, and the crowd behind him is going to go wild for it. I mean, it's a ruse to be able to do what he wants and then have everybody applaud for him. So that's what we got last night when he decided to revert on how he was talking about uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford at one point last week calling her credible last night basically trying to pull apart the holes in her story all right but closer to home in Washington itself uh my understanding is you mentioned uh, Lisa Murkowski uh but he's also alienated some other senators who were maybe apt to vote Kavanaugh in uh does it put the whole vote into a precarious position because of what Trump said 
It very well could, because look, Lisa Murkowski says she's going to take the or take the, the information that he said and the words that he said and carry that with her when she goes to the vote. It's the same with Susan Collins from Maine. She said today that what Trump said was wrong. That could be a, a bit of an issue when it comes time for this vote. Now, the FBI is expected to put down their information, likely at some point today. It'll wind up in the hands of senators. So we could be looking at a vote sometime between Friday and Monday before they get all their housekeeping taken care of. If those two don't vote and if those red state Democrats who kind of are also in that same vote of saying they weren't really fond of what the president was saying last night. If any of these people decide to vote against uh, the party, or at least, you know, in line with what their their party does when it comes to Democrats, we could be looking at a problem for that confirmation. Yeah, you mentioned the Democrats in these red states like Joe Manchin, West Virginia, Heidi Heidkamp in, uh, I think it's Idaho. And uh, if they don't go uh, the way of voting Kavanaugh in, because they're behind now in the polls in double digits, I saw Lindsey Graham being interviewed last night, a Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee, saying they're toast. Their careers are over if they don't vote for Kavanaugh. It's basically what they're fearing right now. It's, it's a Heidi Heitkamp and Joe Donnelly as well from Indiana. They're all in real tight races right now where they could potentially lose their seat to a Republican. These are people who voted for Neil Gorsuch during the last round of Supreme Court nomination. So the, the, the Republicans in those states already know that they could potentially lean on these people and give them their support when it comes to the vote. If they vote against Kavanaugh, they could be putting their own political futures on the line. You know, I've even heard it floated that uh, should the Republicans win overwhelmingly in the Senate, they could always uh, just reset and, uh, I guess, what, uh, put Kavanaugh up for uh, consideration again in the future. Absolutely. But we're hearing right now that the president could also, if this doesn't go the way that he wants to, just simply leave the seat empty on the Supreme Court. And we would be sitting with basically a 4-4 split on the, the left and right side of the court until a 2020 when he if he decides to run again and if he wins again, he could renominate somebody else. That could pose problems down the line because we'd le- be left with no real potential for setting precedent on the Supreme Court. Everything would be bounced back to the lower court. So if Kavanaugh doesn't get confirmed, there are ramifications that extend well beyond what's happening in the Senate. Now, this Kavanaugh thing, I mean, we're into really the 11th hour because the FBI, as you say, is going to uh, file their report at the end of the week and the vote would go maybe as early as Saturday and through the weekend. But in the meantime, uh, there are other stories surfacing. I don't know how much credence is lent to them. Uh, It seems like it's even lapsing into the ridiculous with uh, the last word yesterday was uh, Brett Kavanaugh in university or he got into a bar fight through ice at somebody. Does that matter at all? I think that that was just, you know, that that's a couple of reporters that are trying to dig up a story and trying to say, look, there are more things about Brett Kavanaugh that he didn't talk about and that we weren't able to talk about because the FBI hasn't been given a wide enough scope to be able to look at. I don't think that senators are going to take an incident that happened where he potentially threw ice on somebody in a bar and carry that with them when they go to vote. I think Democrats are basically going to use that to say, look, Kavanaugh lied to us when he was under oath on the uh, on the uh, in the testimony uh, or sitting when he was sitting giving his testimony and say he lied about what his potential past was, what his drinking was, you know, he used to go out and drink more than he says. Democrats may try to use that. I don't think it's going to weigh heavily, though, when it comes to a Republican vote. Yeah, it seems, as a matter of fact, uh, with all of these assertions, the real lewd and lascivious stuff like the gang rapes and all the rest, uh, it's muddied the waters. I mean, it's done a disservice, I guess, to uh, the credibility of the first accuser, if, you know, we lend credence to her account of things. Now it's just been watered down, or it's seemingly there's been so much distraction with all this other noise. Let me ask you about something else. Reggie Giacchini's with us on the line. He's the Washington Bureau producer with Global National. When it comes to the news, uh, the New York Times 
Donald Trump has, you know, assailed them as the failing New York Times and fake news and yada, yada, yada. But they've gone with a lengthy story about his being engaged in suspect tax schemes as he reaped riches from his father, which contradicts the fact that he was a self-made billionaire, yada, yada, yada. Uh, How much credence do we lend to this story and what is it all about in a nutshell? Well, this is a really long story and there's a big background with it. It goes back, you know, 30 years when they were looking at all this information. I think this is one of those New York Times stories where you can actually give it a few more legs to stand on because there aren't a lot of anonymous sources that are being listed into this article. There are a lot more photos of of return checks and of IRS papers and of tax return forms that you can actually look at and see numbers that are posted in front of you and you can actually get the background stories on them. So there is some information in this article that's actually worth it. Basically, what the nutshell is, is Donald Trump's father was basically the person who made Donald Trump who he is. Trump always said that he was given a million dollars to start his businesses, and that's how he became a billionaire. Turns out it was more like he was given $60 million by his father. Very little of it was paid back. And over the course of his father's career and beyond that into his estate... Trump picked up somewhere in the terms of 400 or maybe $500 million and then ended up selling part of his father's empire to get the money that he has now. So basically it said that Trump didn't make himself the man that he was. He relied on his father and at all times had his hand in his father's pockets. Well, further, uh, they even go take it further to uh, imply that Trump was, you know, manipulative in the sense of uh, the tax dodges and uh, even suggesting fraud. I think they use the term fraud in the report uh, and using, you know, different uh, methods of tax avoidance uh, or evasion, I guess, and devaluing the properties, the real estate value uh, in a sham corporation so that when it was actually passed over to Trump and his siblings, uh, they got monumental tax breaks. Uh, That's pretty serious indictment. It is, but I mean, you have to remember as well that the, when you are that rich and that powerful and you have that much money, you have lawyers that are able to kind of craft loopholes and they're able to craft different kind of ways to make the money look like it's less than it is or to make it look like you owe less than you actually do. Anybody who has a lot of money will have a lawyer that does that for them. What they're getting, you know, what they're uh, having eyebrows raised for is the amount of money that was held back from the government. You know, at one point it talks about that there was $500 million transferred from one person to another person inside of a shell account. It would have been a massive tax that they had to pay on it. They paid something closer to $50 million, which was, you know, chump change for them back then. So there's questions now as to how many of these accounts were set up, how much money was actually moved around, how much of that money didn't make it it make its way into the IRS. Too late to have it prosecuted federally if there were any criminal uh, activities done that way. But we are looking at a potential risk for a whole bunch of civil suits being uh, opened up by the New York tax office. Well, and uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, his press secretary, at her uh, press conference earlier today, I saw her shrug it off as an old story, recycled fake news, next question kind of thing. So do you think this one has legs or will gain any traction? I think this is just one of those distraction stories that's out there right now. The president surely going to use it as a potential distraction or at least use something else to distract from this. We don't actually know what the thought process is oftentimes in the White House. But yeah, you're right. Sarah Sanders said that this is a, it's a boring story. It's an old story. The thing is that neither Sanders nor Trump himself verbally are denying the information in the story. Trump's lawyer put a note out saying that some of the statements in there were inaccurate and some of it was false, but we're getting very little denial uh, by way of the press secretary. All right. We'll watch with interest uh, until the next installment, which is probably likely later today or tomorrow. And it takes that headline off the front page. Reggie, always a pleasure. Keep us updated on things doing in Washington. Thank you, John. Reggie Cicchini, Washington Bureau Producer with Global National. Look, uh, and this is where it gets to a point where Trump's already sort of uh, poisoned the well. Anything from the New York Times 
will come with an asterisk to the folks uh, who believe that there's been a lot of fake news or slanted news. There's a bias inherent in certain organizations and you can run through the gamut or the litany uh, MSNBC, NBC, you know, <laughs> that they come in with an agenda. Yeah, here closer to home, I guess uh, people see the CBC in a certain slanted way. So, I mean, I'm going to ask you, I'm curious in a few moments here that we have uh, before we get to the top of the hour and refresh the news on the other side, uh, some news on the real estate front. Always want to keep you in uh, mind when it comes to perhaps your biggest nut or uh, the biggest asset that you have, the asset class. We'll just uh, update the file on whether the GTA real estate market and then our panel with topics worthy of discussion. But has Donald Trump done a disservice to the media, you know, by framing them as the dishonest media, fake news, or have they discredited themselves? And if you want to give examples, I've been watching this Kavanaugh thing with keen interest. And I must say, uh, there is a rank hypocrisy in a lot of the reporting or the way the media chooses to be very selective in how they're positioning things. And I go, oh, my God, you guys are not doing yourselves any favor. You're just playing into and feeding the narrative, fanning the flames. It's like lighter fluid on the barbecue when Trump calls it fake news. He gets the big cheers, sure, from a partisan crowd or the booze, you know, the media. And then he points to them all. Uh, it may be a dangerous development. I mean, as far as calling them the enemy of the people, that's uh, never healthy because, you know, you want the fifth estate basically uh, to be healthy and vibrant and whatever. But boy, the American media has become somewhat of a toxic swamp, hasn't it? Not in all cases, but there are enough of them to cite and uh, string together the dots to uh, lend credence to what Trump says. Agree? Disagree? Or has he done a disservice to the media in the way he's uh, really vilified them and made them an object of ridicule? 